This coverage of Legal Week brought to you by Legal Talk Network, with many great podcasts to make your next commute or workout informative and educational. To improve your practice and stay in the know, visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Lawrence Coletti and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. We're recording from Legal Week 2020 in New York City and uh, we're covering a really interesting topic here. So it's uh, it was called Demonstrating Agility in the Face of Constant Change and that uh, was featured in one of the tracks here at uh, Legal Week called Legal CIO. And so I think if you're a CIO out there or you're a tech company trying to sell to a law firm. This is definitely an episode you should be paying attention to. And so to uh, pull out this discussion here, I have many great guests. They just are fresh off their uh, presentation here. And I have Wendy Curtis, Dominic Crosby, Joan Holman, and Sam Whitman join us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you, Excellent. So before we cut into everything, uh, let's. I, I want to go around the table and establish the bona fides, you know, uh, why you all are experts in your field and where you work. So why don't we start to my left. Let's start with Sam. Sure. My name is Sam Whitman. I'm the Global Knowledge Management Manager at uh, Mayor Brown, based here in New York. My background is I'm a practicing lawyer. I practiced project finance for about six years in London with another major international firm before switching over into knowledge management about five years ago. Excellent. Joan. Good morning. My name is Joan Holman. I'm the Chief Information Officer for Clark Hill. Prior to being in legal, I had the opportunity to be in a variety of different industries, including finance, telecom, life sciences, and environmental services, always wow. in technology. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Dominic? Dominic Crosby. Uh, I started out as a technologist, uh, came up through IT, uh, decided I wanted to become an attorney, and then found a nice little niche in uh, project and program management uh, between the two professions. Right now, I'm currently a Senior Technical Program Manager at Microsoft. Awesome, awesome. And last but not least, Wendy Curtis. Thank you for having me. I'm Wendy Curtis, the Chief Innovation Officer at Auric. And I ended up in this job, I think, mostly because I had the privilege of being on the front lines of the change of the talent model. So in my career, and I still practice law, I've had the opportunity to work with data scientists and statisticians and project analysts. Um, we have a whole focus on really thinking about the delivery of legal services and the way that their clients will consume them. And so business analysts and legal operations professionals, and I'm really, really grateful to be here and I really enjoy my role. So the, the panel that you, that you all on earlier uh, was opened up by Zach Warren, the moderator. Of course, he's the editor-in-chief at Legal Tech News. And so he had this uh, interesting chart up there that was showing the difference in uh, change rates between, so there was tech changes at an exponential rate versus organizations, which change at a much slower rate. And so it kind of showed the difference of that and how that can create some friction. And so I want to share uh, with you a personal example of this in my life before we get to that and just kind of, uh, you know, get your opinions on the matter. But, you know, I, I bank with U.S. Bank and uh, one of the things that's just uh, innately frustrating to me is they're always updating that app just when I get used to using it. And I'm just using it to solve a simple problem, just make my payments. And then, you know, the update will come and then I can't use it because I can't find the menu or it logs me out and then I can't remember my password and it just takes minutes out of my day, which is frustrating. And so, I looked at that. I'm obviously changing at a much slower rate than my bank app. So I guess my, my opening question is, you know, why 
in law, with so many smart people, is the industry so slow to change? So I would actually challenge your example and use it to illustrate how much change is happening. So I have been around long enough to remember when you had to go to the bank to get money and you had to put it through that tube and you got a lollipop back on the other end. And now it's inconceivable that we can't get money on demand. And your expectation is that 24-7 you can interact with your bank. And moreover, you're frustrated about remembering your password, but I just got a new iPhone, and you know, by looking at my phone, it remembers my password, it auto-populates. And so the way that we work, the way that we do business has changed so much in our lifetime, and it's happening in legal. And I think one of the best driving forces in our profession is the transformation that's happening in our clients. And that that really has to motivate us. If you don't understand that every company is a digital company now, if you don't understand that data is one of the most important assets, you can't serve or have empathy or be a trusted advisor to your client. So I would argue that even with the app, even with your frustration, that itself is evidence of the degree of change. And Dominic, from the Microsoft perspective, uh, you know, you had some opinions on this. You were talking about uh, risk and you were talking about uh, ROI, return on investment. So generally speaking, I think Wendy is correct. Uh, the industry is changing. However, it does seem to change at different paces at, at different organizations, at different firms, uh, depending on where that particular organization is at this moment in time. There always seems to be some sort of catalyst that drives change typically, at least in my experience or in my old company at Qualcomm. There's definitely a catalyst there with the Broadcom litigation that really drove them to change a lot of the way that they approached legal technology. Microsoft, on the other hand, has, has also gone through this change, although we've fully embraced it in the last five to seven years now, which has really transformed the company in terms of what it does, how it interacts with its clients how and its customers, as well as how it interacts with uh, outside counsel, which is really key. So yeah, we're we're now, I would say, be more considered a uh, change agent than in the past. We were considered the, um, the best example I can think of, which is not a positive example, but it's in the past, which is like big blue. We weren't changing. I bet Joan and Sam, so any other hurdles you all have observed from your stations as to why the legal profession may or may not be slow to uh, change? I think some of it is um, we're dealing with attorneys who have been taught over the course of their career and their education to look at precedent. So what are other people doing first? So you've got to be able to get over those barriers where they feel uncomfortable with the change itself. So helping people through that, I think, is really important to that. And I think that's some of the reason it feels like legal is a little bit slower to embrace new technologies than perhaps other industries and functions. Joan's absolutely right. It's, it's cultural. Uh, attorneys are conservative by nature. We're taught to look at and identify every possible scenario that could go wrong and all the risks uh, of whatever it is that we're acting on behalf of our client for to make sure that they're extremely well informed. And it's hard to break that habit that's been created uh, for years and years of training and just the industry itself. You know, one of the things, I, I talk about this every now and again, uh, I used to be on the buy side of some of the technological solutions. I uh, used to work in uh, the medical industry. And so when we'd want to change a uh, you know, practice management platform, that was not a small thing. You know, you had people that had been trained on one and it was going to take hours upon hours. Of course, the most expensive thing, you know, on your bottom line is uh, the expense of your staff. And so that was one of the things it would just take a long time to implement because it took planning and it took a, a lot of... Um, took a lot of investment of time and energy, which I think is really important to organizations. And of course, in law, there's a lot of processes and procedures that everybody maps out their way and tries to do it as effectively as they can. And then along comes a new solution that they have to learn. So I guess getting back to that, I mean, one of the differences between, I think, 
the medical industry when I was doing that, my station there, and the legal industry is that the clients are now, as you previously mentioned, driving that change, and they're, they're creating these innovative products, and they want the law firms that represent them to understand what they're doing. So I want to open up the floor, and uh, I think we'll start back with Wendy. Um, just in light of that, you know, just in terms of the client, like what are ways you're seeing, they're coming to you, trying to figure out like how technologically proficient you are, how does that work? Sure, so I'm actually gonna use your medical example. So I read a great article about the challenges that the medical profession had in getting children to do MRIs. Right, because it's a loud, scary machine. You got to go in that tunnel. My husband won't do it. Right, you feel claustrophobic, and so I think it was GE redesigned MRI machines to look like a rocket ship and a pirate ship, and the children's anxiety and going down, and they could, you know, the noise was supposed to be the pirates doing the cannon or the rocket going through space. And we really need to do the same and are working with our clients to do the same, to think about the customer experience. And we have the privilege of working for some extraordinary clients that are growing at a rate that's hard to even comprehend. And you need on-demand, real-time, 24-7, on-the-phone legal advice sometimes, and this can be slightly scary, but without a lawyer. And so we're imagining if the client has to go into that MRI machine, how do we make it feel like a rocket ship or a pirate ship and, or the business? and not just about what the doctor or the lawyer really needs. And so we're partnering with clients to think about and understand what's the job to be done and how do we help you get there? How do we become not just someone that mitigates risk, but really accelerates and augments business opportunity? I want to pass that down to Joan and Sam. I want to finish with Dominic because he's taking a little bit different perspective here. But Joan and Sam, same question. I think we have to we have to change. We have to engage differently. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over and expect to stay competitive because we've, we've got to keep moving. We have to keep evolving. Our clients and their organizations are changing quickly and they need legal counsel and legal partners that can truly support them through that effort. So to Wendy's point, it really is about taking a step back and say, how do we continue to deliver this excellent legal service? How do we help our clients through their business challenges? How can we look at and help them avoid challenges, but do it with a fresh set of eyes in utilizing tools and technology, you know, people process technology to make it all happen. I don't think we can sit back and just do it the same way and continue to be successful long-term. It, it needs to be a partnership and a journey together with our, our clients and, and the firms as well uh, to implement these new technologies, to try something different. There's inherently risk involved. And, and we have to share that risk uh, and be driven by the fact that both our client and the firm itself knows that you know, if we implement this, there are going to be some challenges. Things may not work out. Let's you know, do everything we can to ensure that it does work out. But you know, share the risk with each other. Let's go on this journey together to really innovate and try something different. So, so Dominic, I want to I want to turn to you. So uh, now you're taking kind of the client side perspective on this. Now, Microsoft, as you know, wonderfully innovative company, goes above and beyond. Uh, you know, just simply demanding that their attorneys are technologically uh, proficient and innovative. I mean, you actually help them get there. So maybe you could share with us some of the examples of how Microsoft engages with the attorneys that represents it. So Microsoft's mission uh, is to empower every uh, person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And that really kind of drives a lot of the way that we behave in our organization. As we talked about earlier on the panel, it's a very much an organic thing that happens in our organization that goes from the bottom up. 
as a result of that, uh, we engage with our outside with our clients and our outside counsel uh, directly uh, through an organization um, that actually puts together sort of a, an innovation group, a skunk works, I think is a term that you use. I know it's not the term we normally use inside, in, in, in-house, but it, it's the first one that comes to mind. Um, it's a group that kind of gets together and looks at the various technology tools that we have. How do we um, adapt or how do we apply these to the changes in, in legal uh, framework and then share that with our outside counsel and engage with them. We also bring them on site and we share stories and experiences and solutions back and forth, share ideas, and we actively in, engage in that process and that really helps drive a lot of the change that's out there. And because of that, we're able to, to really drive the industry as a whole. So back to, to Wendy's earlier statement, um, the industry is changing and we really want to be at the forefront of that and really kind of helping counsel do better at what they do because it uh, is a byproduct that benefits us. So I think it definitely takes, you know, when you're good at what you do, uh, changing how you do it obviously takes a paradigm shift in thinking. And y'all are talking a little bit about design thinking in there. And I sense there might be some disagreement here, but uh, it was presented that lawyers may not be very good at design thinking, especially the litigators. And I'm looking over at Wendy. Sure. So I'm going to disagree. We found that lawyers are incredibly creative, but the responsibility when doing these design thinking sessions is to create an environment where they can be creative. So we have a couple practical tips that we have learned from now doing this with more than a thousand law students, law professors, our own colleagues, clients, and even community members and technology providers. So lawyers like a roadmap. What's coming next? So that, and that really just helps reduce some of the angst. We've also learned that it's really important at various phases in that process to require everyone to be silent. So let me say that again, to silence the lawyers. In that quiet, everyone has an equal opportunity to generate ideas and it creates um, a different power structure. So you were joking about whether or not litigators really could be good at this. Litigators are taught to advocate. And so in any environment, they have the tendency to dominate. And so by creating silence in the beginning, uh, you're empowering everybody to have an equal opportunity. Moreover, we often find that the best ideas can come from the most junior person or the most quiet person. And so by literally writing down ideas rather than verbally communicating them, by sorting and kind of ranking them without having discussion, therefore no advocacy, it really does create a different environment. But I would say again and again, lawyers are creative. They are problem solvers. It's just giving them a chance in an environment to feel like the solution that they present doesn't have to be the perfect solution. And that's the change. So it sounds like I was partly wrong, but more importantly, <laughs> partly right. So anyway, I have one last question. We're running out of time. So I want to definitely go down and ask everybody. Y'all had some great contributions on this end. So let's say a firm out there wants to innovate. So definitely some key people say, hey, look, we got to do stuff differently. We got to be more efficient, more effective. We got to impress our clients. And so how do you go about getting the buy-in and support that you need? And let me start over with Sam. Sure. One of the key things that we've experience at, at Mayor Brown was creating a, a structure and a framework to be innovative, to analyze and, and look at and demo new technologies. And through that process, we were then able to do a proof of concept on certain tools and be able to demonstrate through those proof of concepts to upper management and the lawyers themselves who really you need to, to sell some of these tools to, that this will work and it will work up to the standard and the quality that you want to be able to perform your job at. Uh, so having a, a good structure in place, and from my experience, having a cross-functional uh, structure in, pra- in place of people who evaluate from 
uh, who are doing the evaluation that are from different areas within the organization that have, really have a good feel of what everything that the firm is doing contributes to the success of any type of uh, innovation initiative because you have the people with expertise from all areas uh, coming together in, in evaluating the, these new tools. All right, hey, Joan. I agree with that. I think the structure is important, but I would add to that you need to have, depending on how you've, you've structured it, like from a technology perspective, you need to have the credibility that you've built out that you can handle the day-to-day stuff because then it, it, that builds a foundation that you can go look at the new exciting things that are coming and what can help us take the next step and help move down the road. But you've got to make sure email's working and document management's working and all those basics 101 that that part's done. And then you can really spend some time on, on investing in the future. And Dominic? I would agree with all of that and uh, demonstrating the value proposition, really why this is going to benefit the organization, our customers, our clients across the board. That could be an ROI, it could be a a proof of concept, but really demonstrating that value and getting that buy-in. And do I dare call on Wendy? (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll pass on this one and and argue with you on the next one, just to keep it fun. All right, sounds good. So we've reached the end of the road for our episode here today, but I want to thank our guests for joining us. I want to thank, uh, obviously, you guys were wonderful. It was tremendous. So thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Sam. And uh, just one last question before we close it out. If our listeners, they want to follow up, ask some questions, how can they get a hold of you? We'll start back with Wendy. Sure. So I met Oric, but I wanted to just thank you for one point that you raised with us since we were talking about this, that the critical impact of diversity and innovation. It is transforming our profession. It's allowing all of us to practice at the top of our license, and I really think it enhances the satisfaction. So it's diversity in all of the ways that we traditionally talk about, but it's diversity of background, bringing business professionals into the legal department that never would have happened before. It's having technologists have an equal seat at the table, and then also really driving places where we don't have the diversity that we want. So we're on radio, so you can't see, but Joan and I are looking deep into each other's eyes. And there's a lot happening right now to improve the representation, in particular, of women in law, in technology, and now legal technology. And so I, to everybody listening, I just empower, challenge you to join that cause because it will make us better. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. And how can they find you, Dominic? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. And Joan? LinkedIn is great. Email jholman at clarkhill.com. All right. Last but not least, Sam. LinkedIn for me. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all again for uh, joining us today. And also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Gleddy. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh